Today we continue our study of the book of Ecclesiastes, and we come to the most famous part of the book. Most people who can't say Ecclesiastes know this section of the book, because Pete Seeger, back in, in 1959, used these eight verses to write a song. And in fact, the song, Turn, 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 consists entirely of this scripture, except for the last two lines. It was well-received in the folk community, but it exploded in 1965 when the birds made a version of it. Didn't change a word, but they added a 12-string um, a electric Rickenbacker guitar riff, which rocks, frankly. And, and, and that hook has kept it uh, in people's lives since 1965, took it to number one. And by the way, that means it holds the record of the oldest lyrics ever to hit number one, because the lyrics were written in 935 BC. The melody was written somewhat later. There are a few songs like that out there in the world. Um, there are other hits that consist entirely, or almost entirely, of scripture. Uh, the ones I know of are the Melodian's River of Babylon, which is also covered by um, Don McLean. And then my cousin, Janet Mead, back in the 60s in Australia, made a number one hit uh, with the Lord's Prayer, which is entirely uh, the Lord's Prayer. Then you too, um, you've, an Irish group, probably you've heard, uh, their, their song 40, Sinead O'Connor, Irish again, just saying, uh, Psalm 33, Cliff Richards, English, so there went the rub, a millennial prayer. And you can look those up later if you wish, but not now, please. Put the phones away. Uh, phones are for playing games during sermon, not for looking up sermon, but it's now. <laughs> we need to make sure we understand something about the text, but let's read the text first. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. I want you to understand something about the text. The text is about life. It is not a Calvinist prayer. In other words, Calvinism, if you don't know, we'll just shrink it real here and, and be very general. Calvinism teaches that everything about everybody's life and every cell in the universe was predetermined by God before it all came into existence. So those, before you're born, God decided whether you were going to be lost or saved. He decided whether you're going to have a good life or bad life, all of this sort of thing. And Calvinism is very, very popular again, especially among millennials and younger who are, are flocking to these churches to find some comfort. And it does sound comfortable to think God's got it all under control and everything happens for a reason. You've heard that phrase, have you not? Everything happens for a reason. It's all part of God's plan when the Bible doesn't teach that. And in fact, believing that makes God responsible for every evil that has ever been done on the planet because he's in charge of it and he planned it. That's wrong. I can remember the first time this hit me hard. And I was just a boy. 
We went to the funeral of a, of a girl that was younger than me, about six years old, had been walking on her way to school when a car jumped the curb and hit her, killed her. The driver was drunk in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, drunk. And at the funeral, I heard people say, well, God must have needed another angel, or God had a plan and taken her. And even as a boy of seven or eight, I was thinking, that makes God a killer. If he wants another angel, he can make them. He's God. And it began to bother me to the point where people just realized this. It sounds comforting, but it isn't. Don't say things like that to the grieving. Instead, mourn with them. And say, as we just sang, there's a time to mourn. And there are times that we say, where are you, Lord? And if that seems disrespectful to you, please understand that song you just sang came direct from God's own words in the Psalms. These are difficult times. And we live on a roller coaster, do we not? It, it's a time to laugh, time to cry, time to mourn, time to... We live on that. That is our life. I don't believe that God's determined your birth date and death date unless he wants to ahead of time. I mean, God can do that. He told people here in the future, there's going to be a king named Cyrus and I'm bringing him in from here. Obviously, God had that one sorted. Whenever he says that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, God can determine anything he wants to determine. But he didn't tell you that what you're wearing today is what he picked out, which would be very handy, frankly. Because sometimes I'll come out and my wife will go, are you wearing that? And I'll say, no. <laughs> no, I, I just put this on so we could have a laugh. And, uh, and then I go back in the closet and I'm going, all right, where'd I go wrong? What's what, what's, what is it in here? I do miss animals. I really do. That was so helpful. These verses are just our life. I, I did a series about 20 years ago where I did a sermon for each one of the lines. And that's not in my schedule for now, but you might want to even take a time in your personal devotions, perhaps on the days you've signed up to fast, to think of one line at a time and the implications of that line. In verse 1, we're told to expect change. We're told to expect contradictions. We're told to expect the swings of the world, that our way through this world will not be steady and will not be one flavor, but it will have all sorts of seasons. In verse 2, we're reminded that the sound of, of a starter's pistol goes off at our birth. Life is limited. There will be a time to die. Every one of us who is born will die. Very easy statistic to remember. One out of one dies. And we always think we're going to be the exception. No, we will. And that's not a morbid thought if you think of it, because if you think of it, that makes every day more precious. Last night, we went to watch basketball games for my grandson playing. The first basketball game I ever saw was my grandson playing. And I've been now watching him for years. I don't really care for basketball. I don't understand it that much. It just seems like people with thyroid disease are, are running around um, and, you know, but anyway, they're, and, and they're throwing balls and hoops for no particular reason. It's got a hole in it. Anyway, um, that said, why do I go? Because there will be a time when I can't go see him play. So you go. It makes life more precious because it is limited. Life is a marvel. It's a wonder. It's something to be examined and thought about. Don't go through your life mindlessly. Think about what's going on and enjoy it. 
So what can we expect, expect in our, out of our life? We can expect that there are going to be times to, to plant and provide for the future, even though we may not be in it. Now, my father was a deeply flawed man that had many issues, but one thing about him, and there were several that I admired, is no matter where we went, he would plant trees. And I can remember not seeing the sense of it, because we could be doing something far more important, like watching cartoons or doing nothing. But he would get us out there, we'd be planting these sticks. He'd say, these are walnut trees or whatever. And I'd be going, well, how long does it take them to grow up to get walnuts? And he, I don't remember, I wasn't paying that much attention. It was decades, where, you know, he said, oh, we'll be long gone. I'm going, well, then they got walnuts down the shops, if you want. And his whole, his whole teaching was, no, somebody will want these one day. And again, that was a good lesson to learn. We need to plant even for the benefit of others. And you've done that, by the way, and you do it all the time. You plant in South Africa for that, that missionary who's going under such troubling times right now. You planted in making sure this building will be here long after we're gone. You do all that. That's what we do. We plant and we invest in others because there is a time to plant. There'll be a time to reap, but it may not be us that reaps. And the next line upset some people, a time to kill and a time to heal. And they, they try to take all of the other one literally, but this one they try to make metaphysical. Friends, the Bible was not written to make us comfortable. And God and all of his angels are not all that interested in giving us comfort. This life will not fit in nice, easy boxes. It's nice to say, well, I'm, I'm a pacifist. And there are all kinds of different kind of pacifists, by the way. And I respect pacifists. I really do. And it's nice to say, I'm not a pacifist. But there will be a time to be pacifist and there will be a time not to be. And we have to discern. We have to understand. It's rough. It's tough. The line, a time to kill may bother us. But God wrote it. And he illustrated it as well. In many stories in scripture. He illustrated it. We like hard lines. And, and one of the most offensive things to me is when people draw hard lines around Jesus and say, we got him. You know, uh, uh, Jesus is a Democrat or Jesus is a Republican or Jesus is a Libertarian. Honestly, I've never heard anybody say the third one. Or Jesus is, is one of these others. Um, and, and we'll say, that's who Jesus is and he's on our side. The Germans, the Nazis which I know is not the same, they're not equivalent. The Nazis, one of their slogans is God with us. How bizarre. And yet, we tend to do things like this. Let's be very careful about doing anything in God's name without his express permission. But understand that this world is complicated. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. For example, I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm almost always anti-war because the people that cause it don't go. And I've always thought, if you cause it, you should have to go fight it. Let the rest of us sit around and eat brownies and, you know, watch. I don't know. But the universe is messy. It's always going to be messy. That's what this passage tells you. It's always going to be messy. And here's very, very important. You are not going to find your meaning by what happens to you. You are defined by how you deal with what happens to you. That is so critically important. So, next line, sometimes we have to tear things down. Sometimes we have to build. 
And there are times in our life where we need to weep. Don't tell people not to. Just, it, that, I've never quite understood that. People will say, oh, don't cry, don't cry. It'll all be great in glory. Yeah, but we're not in glory yet. And if Jesus cried, so can we. So we can cry. We can weep. We can rail. We can get upset. But there will also be times to laugh. There will also be times to enjoy. There was a guy that wrote a, a comparison and contrast between Francis Schaeffer, whose name is not that well known for some reason, uh, an, an apologist, uh, somebody that talks about belief in God, and he used art and culture to show why we believe in God, and then C.S. Lewis. And one of the biggest differences he pointed out was nobody in, in his entire life could ever remember seeing Francis Schaeffer laugh. And I thought, ooh, I don't want to go to his parties then. And, and people did. They flocked to go to Switzerland to where he had this retreat. And, and he, very, very wise in the things that he, he said and did. But there's a time to laugh. There's a time just to enjoy your life. It's right and proper to mourn, but don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck on any side. Learn to mourn with those who mourn and, and to laugh and rejoice with those who rejoice. Learn to use the differences in the world and work with them to show the love of Christ in every situation. Whenever I ran a counseling clinic, there was one group I would not work with, and that was those who used self-pity as a way to become the most powerful people in the room. Because they had had an experience, tragic though it was, they pitied themselves enough to where they demanded that all joy in the room stop and that you be centered around the one self-pity. And the reason I didn't work with them is because they're already all-powerful. What can I do for this? More therapists than you would imagine have talked to me about somebody who they helped get unstuck, who came back to them angry because now they didn't know their identity. Their identity had always been, I'm the person that hates that family, or I'm the person that this happened to, or I'm the victim here. And once you remove that, they lost their identity. God says, don't do that. There's a time for this, and then there's a time for this. Now, don't tell anybody how long the time should be. Don't lean over at the funeral and say, you're going to need to get over this. Let everybody heal at their own speed. Be as kind to other people as you want God to be to you. And then I love the next line, even though it's not well understood in our current age, that there's a time to gather stones and there's a time to scatter stones. The gathering of stones was the way they remembered. And in Scotland to this day, people will build cairns, that's a pile of rocks, to memorialize something. The Jews do this as well. If you remember the end of Schindler's list, those who he had saved would come and put a rock on his grave. That gathering the stones to remember. In fact, right now there's a real issue in Scotland. Um, the battlefield of Culloden, uh, won't go into the history of it all, but it's a very, very important, uh, almost sacred place for the Scots. So many people were slaughtered there by the, the, um, the British army, which included a lot of Scots. It was not it was, a, it was a civil war of sorts, that they didn't bury them individually. They had to bury them by their clan, which is not a bad word over there, just means their family. 
And so you have Mackay and stones here, Gunn and, stun, and stones here, uh, McDonald and stones here. And they've had to now rope it off because so many Americans are watching a series called Outlander, evidently, or that they have to go over and walk the fields to see where the fictional characters died and causing damage. They're scattering the stones. No, we want to remember. Leave the cairn there. But there are other times in our life that thing we would just refuse to forget, it's time to scatter that. Or that tradition we hold to. I know many people who are tradition, traditional in their worship to the nth degree, but there is no love in their heart. And when you try to love them, they will not love you back because you don't meet their standards. It's time to break that down. It's time to dismantle that. And in my life, every attitude I have, and believe it or not, I still have attitudes that I find I've built a stone thing there to remember I, I am constantly at work breaking down cairns and scattering the stones saying, that just needs to go. That needs to be forgotten and left. We need to move on. So that's what that line means. I spent some extra time there just because, again, in our culture, the gathering of stones, we think of gathering of stones so we can fling them at somebody. No, no. It was a way of saying there are times that you want to remember, and you should. But there's some other things you just need to quit remembering. You need to let that go. That's why we ask for wisdom. Asking God, one, what marker should we set up? What marker should we dismantle? Uh, one of the great things about the shepherds here is that they're not afraid to study anything because they know that the Holy Spirit will show us. We trust him. And if we get it wrong, we trust God to give us grace and to eventually lead us in wisdom where we should be. He knows we are dust. He understands our weak state. So we ask for wisdom. Where do we gather? Where do we scatter? I love the next line. Time to embrace and a time to re a time to refrain from embracing. You Americans. Um, was we were at the, the 25th anniversary of Great Works this week. Uh, Gary and I were, by the way, I'm, I could not be prouder to be involved with the works we are. Franktown Open Hearts and One Gen Away and, and Grace Works. I'm, uh, amazing, amazing and well-run groups. When the CEO of Grace Works at the very end, she prayed us out. And then she said, now just stay around, visit, get to know us. And, and, and I'll just come around and, and hug, hug anybody. And I turned to Gary and I said, you're on. I hired you for a reason, buddy. You run interference. And uh, I, then I looked up, and Alicia had seen what I'd done, and she nearly fell off her stool laughing. I'm going, all right, there you are, fair enough. But there are times to hug, and then there are times not. There's time to pull back and think about what you're hugging, why you're hugging, and how you're hugging. All of that needs to be thought. There are times to search. There are times to stop searching. There are times to accept what you know and move forward. I know of people who have been getting ready to do something for God their entire life. And I refer to them as parachute jumpers. I'll explain. If you ever go to a voluntary, voluntary parachute jumping place, not, not military, you don't get a choice. There's a guy there that will shove you. But if you go to a place where they're learning, you'll find people that have gone there for years getting ready. And they bought the parachute jumper clothes, and they read parachute jumping stuff, and they've got all the parachute jumping pens, and they're never going to jump. 
and that's an awful lot like a lot of people with Jesus. When I get all this ready, then I'll serve you. Moses tried that, didn't he? Well, I, you know, I'm old. They don't understand who I am. I'm not a good talker. And like God just asked him one question. What's in your hand? The stick. That'll do. God didn't say that'll do, but he would have. It, and it, it was enough. God and his stick can defeat Egypt. So he's saying there's a time to stop gathering. There's a time to take and go with what you've got. There comes a time to inventory your life. And I, I would suggest to you that that should be often. See what needs to go away. See what you need to gather. There will be time to fix what you've got and keep it. There will be times to let it go. The scripture then goes on to say there are times to be silent. Isn't that hard today? That is so hard. Noises come from everywhere. It used to, and, and not all of them are on your site. It used to be, let's just be very blunt, the kids are away, that if you wanted pornography, even soft pornography, you had to go into a shop that had it, and you had to risk being seen, and you had to ask for it. And now it's shoved to your phone in your pocket. There comes a time to be silent. There comes a time to step back. But there are other times when we see injustice or we see wrong, or we see somebody that needs help, it's a time to speak. But what if I speak up and they kill me? You're going to die anyway. Let's go. Don't be afraid of dying. If you're so afraid of dying, you'll never get around to living. Ever. Let's just go. Last, my, son, my grandson, Fenn, last night asked, he said, will you mention me tomorrow? And I said, Why? And he said, I'd like you to. So, Finn. <laughs> last, last week, took a hard elbow from, from a really big boy and knocked entirely a permanent tooth out, blood everywhere. And he's, ah, you know, because it's blood and he doesn't know where he's hurt. Clean him up, get him over. They've, the, the tooth will probably implant again they put it back in there we're you know doing our best well josh who's played basketball his whole life was just like well you know i play basketball you know it's amazing how many of my buddies have a false tooth up here and implant we're going that's not helpful at this stage you know um let's get him to the dentist we and we did all of that and you know you're going all right all right what do we do now do we say all right he was injured playing basketball we'd better not do that again or do you play or it's too dangerous to drive over there to see your parents. Or do you drive? Go on. Risk it. Eat the donut. <laughs> if it kills you, you were eating the donut, now you see Jesus. Where's the negative? <laughs> there are times to love. And there are times to hate. And let me, Christians, just let me tell you, don't use that phrase, well, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. Because sinners don't get that, and they feel insulted. Don't use that phrase. But understand that things that are wrong, we do hate. But hate is not sitting around being upset about it. Hate is an energy that says, let's change it. 
redeeming the time so that the days do not become evil, we act before the sun goes down to make things right. And there are times of war and times for peace. More about that as we go through our series of wisdom literature. As Jesus tells us, blessed are those who are devoted to making peace. Please understand something. The absence of war is not peace. Peace is more than just ceasing hostilities. Making peace means to weave people together. That's a lot harder work than not, than not wearing a gun. It takes a lot more work to weave peace. So how are we supposed to behave in a universe that looks like 3 verses 1 through 8? First of all, don't go to extremes, please, just don't. My good friend Matt Dabbs, who's editor of Wineskins Magazine, it's not about wine, don't get excited, it's, it's about theology and faith, new wineskins is the idea. Put on Twitter, there are things that I love about the Church of Christ and, and our heritage. He got shelled from everybody who has, has issues with Church of Christ or who left Church of Christ, and I'm, they could not acknowledge the good. Don't be that person. Find a way to love. Find a way to be good to each other. Don't run to extremes. Mark, if you'd bring your group back up here. And the rest of us, if you'll stand, I'm going to read to you the last bit of this section. And I want you to see what you see as we go through it. Am I okay standing here? Is this all right out of the way? Okay. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God's laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Listen, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Do you trust God? There will be the good times, the bad times, the hate times, the love times, the hug times, the don't times. They'll be remembering the don't remember. As you go through it, trust God. We may not know what he's doing, but what he is doing is right. And one of those things he is doing is redeeming you, redeeming me. Find joy in the moment and trust God.